hand up if you've ever heard of the term daylight robbery. Yep. I had to, but I actually learned where it came from. And uh, I'm going to tell you that this morning because I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, and I found out while I was in the UK, and as many of you know, um, I've just been in the UK for a month because we moved... Our daughter has moved over to the UK for a year and so helping um, her get set up at her uni. But the rest of the time I spent in Cambridge studying, which was fantastic. And one of my favourite things to do after reading books all day was to do something called punting. So if you've been to Cambridge or even Oxford, you know what punting is. And I've got a photo up here um, of punting. I wouldn't say it's sailing, but it's gliding down the river in Cambridge um, with a lovely man with a big long stick who just pushes you along. Um, I can suggest that if you ever go and you have the option to do that yourself that you don't do that. It's very entertaining to watch people who think they can punt themselves. Um, I encourage you to hire somebody to do that for you but it is one of the most relaxing things I have ever done and it was just perfect. I did it a number of times um, but one of the things that I loved about it was not just being relaxed but how beautiful it was. And one of the things in Cambridge is that all the university colleges all back onto the river. And so you can see there and in the next picture, it's just stunning. All these beautiful building after building after building as you kind of just float for like an hour or so. Except there is one building that was not as picturesque as all the others. And you'll see that here. And... Um, Ugly is, is a good kind of word, but can you notice there that there are hardly any windows? And uh, one of the good things is when you actually hire somebody to help you punt down the river cam, they actually give you a history lesson. So I'm going to pass some of that history on to you this morning. In 1690, the king of England, who was King William III, ran out of money. And so he got really creative about um, a new way to tax people and it was dubbed the window tax. And basically, uh, the more windows you had in your house, the more tax that you had to pay. Now, some people saw this as like a great badge of honour and so they loved the fact that they had all these windows. Most other people, though, tried to avoid paying tax and this is the result. They would build a home that had the smallest possible windows that you could have. And so this is really the result of the king's window tax. Um, basically, they, they used to come up with this phrase that the, the king, because of this tax, was stealing daylight and therefore it was daylight robbery. And that's where the term comes from. And so you see these homes like this that have particularly on this side, tiny, tiny, tiny windows. Now, for us these days, we actually understand that this is not a good way to live. We understand, well, just even when we arrived this morning, there were so many people like sitting outside in the sun. We know how important the sun is to us. We know how important daylight is to us. We even know scientifically now that if you live in a place that doesn't have enough sunlight, in Finland, in Iceland, in the north of Norway, where you have months where you don't get any sunlight, we know that there's actually a form of depression that you can get now called seasonal affective disorder. Um, in other words, SAD. You are sad if you don't get lots and lots of sunlight. We have learnt that not living in the light literally has effects on our health. 
and our well-being. But we also know, and what we're exploring in this series, is that spiritually, the same thing. It is spiritually important for us to live in the light. And that's what this series that Troy started last week is all about, living in the light. And in our local community, in the next um, couple of weeks, there's going to be a celebration of light, the Festival of Light, Diwali. And uh, a few months ago when we did that great series called Over the Fence, we explored the different um, religions and faiths and beliefs of all our neighbours here. And one of our large group of neighbours is the Hindu faith, and that's what they will celebrate in the next um, couple of weeks. And their celebration of the Festival of Light is this celebration of victory um, in their religion of um, light over darkness and good over evil. For us, of course, we celebrate that every day uh, in our faith in Jesus Christ and at Easter. And Jesus himself, for us, is light. And uh, Troy raised this last week as we explored um, light in Genesis. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus is light for us. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. That's what this series is all about. And this week we are going to be talking about light, living in the light of wisdom. That's what we're going to explore today. Now, some of you might be really familiar with this idea of wisdom. Some of you, maybe not so much. If I did a quick poll around here this morning, which I'm not going to do, um, but if I was, maybe some of you would associate the word wisdom with a king in the Old Testament, King Solomon, who was supposed to be the wisest of all. Some of you might be familiar with the fact that in our Bibles, there are particular um, pieces of of literature or books in here or genres of writing that we refer to as wisdom, so wisdom literature. But if we had to define wisdom, the definition would be the quality of having experience, knowledge and good judgment. Wisdom is something that you have when you are considered to be wise. And I'm not sure we talk about it very much. Sometimes I think we might refer to people as wise, often older people. We refer to them as as being wise and having wisdom. But I'm not sure it's something that we value as highly as we probably should. We certainly don't value it as highly as they did in the culture of the Old Testament and also to some extent the New Testament as well. In the Old Testament in particular... Wisdom was a prized possession, if you like. And wisdom was this uh, desire and this, yeah, desire to live a blessed life. And it was an important aim that somebody would have. Um, You would see wisdom as this idea of, or this question, this seeking constantly, how can I be blessed? How can I live this blessed life? And that is why there are whole books, as I said, in in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, all about living a blessed life. So we've got the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. We have individual psalms that we call wisdom psalms. If you're familiar with Psalm chapter 1, it's like the perfect... Um, example of wisdom. There's a whole section about how to live a blessed life and then the second section is how to be a wicked person. This is this idea of how can I be blessed. And so if wisdom is so highly prized for us, 
where do we get it from? Where do we get it from? Well, one of the places, the main place for us is actually God's word. God's word is the place that we are going to get wisdom from. And we actually have greater access to the word of God than any other time and place in terms of how great our access to this book is. But unfortunately, we don't access it enough, even though we have it, the access that we have. You know, God's word is this treasure trove of wisdom for us. And in the book of Proverbs itself, it talks about this. So in Proverbs 6, verse 23, it says, For this command, these, these words in here, are, is a lamp. This teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life. So this instruction, this word of God that we have, this is the source of wisdom for us. This is the light to guide our path as we walk in every day that we have, day in and day out. And we know this because it actually tells us this. This is not only our source of wisdom, but it tells us how important the wisdom is. And in this circular kind of way, it reminds us through its own words how important it is. And I want to read two verses to you from a psalm that we're going to talk about a fair bit today. Two verses from Psalm 119 that talk about the power of the wisdom in here and the power of the light that comes from God's word. The first part of this psalm that I want to read to you is verse 105. And it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I'm sure you've heard that verse before. But then a little bit later in verse 130, it says, The teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. That same verse in the message paraphrase, I love how the way Eugene Peterson unpacks this and he says, every word you give me is a miracle word. How could I help but obey? Break open your words, let the light shine out and let ordinary people see its meaning. How beautiful is that? Now these passages are powerful in and of themselves. But this morning I want to show you something that just... Um, digs a little bit deeper into that and uh, it shows to me anyway it shows how amazing and how beautiful God's word is and I'm going to warn you I'm going to get a little nerdy here is that all right one person thinks it's awesome we're going to do it anyway whether you want to or not but I thought I'd be polite and just ask if it's all right we're going to get a little nerdy but it's going to be okay because I think you can handle it And I just, I love God's word anyway, but it's things like this that I'm about to show you that just highlights how amazing God's word is, Um, even when God's word is telling us how amazing God's word is. It's a bit circular, but that's all good. So in both the passages I just read to you, I read to you from Psalm 119. And I don't know how much you know about Psalm 119, but it's a pretty special psalm. It's not only the longest psalm in the whole book of Psalms of the 150 psalms, but it is the longest chapter in our Bible as well. It's 176 verses. Um, So if you kind of go to bed one night and go, just read one psalm, don't choose 119, okay? (laughs) It's a very, very long, long psalm. But just because it's long is not the only thing that is amazing about it. 
Psalm 119 to me is a love letter to the word of God. And the the thing that I've thought about it this week, the, the greatest thing I can liken it to is the Sistine Chapel. So I'm sure that you all know what the Sistine Chapel is and I've got a picture up here to show you. The Sistine Chapel is a work of art. It is um, frescoes that are painted in the Apostolic Palace um, in Vatican City in Rome. And if you're not familiar with this, I'm sure you're familiar with a tiny part of it, you know, where God's finger and Adam's finger kind of almost touch. That's kind of right up the top there. But this is the Sistine Chapel and... It is an absolutely incredible work of art. But in the same way that this is an incredible work of art made of paint, for me, Psalm 119 is an incredible work of art made from words. And you see, when you start to learn about some of these incredible places where um, these incredible artists just painted beautiful churches and, and all these different things, we find out that they wanted to glorify God by creating somewhere that was like heaven on earth. The closest thing that they could try and capture was heaven on earth to them. And even though it may not look that, it might not be what you picture heaven on earth was, that's what they pictured. That's what they were trying to do. And the writer of Psalm 119, I think, was trying to do the same thing, wanted to glorify God and his word by using words. Now, who among here has ever successfully written a poem or a song? I know Jennifer Champion has because I've read, heard her some of her poetry. Just a few of you. I've tried. It was a disaster. So anybody here who can write poetry or write songs, you guys are amazing. Because anyone who can do that, they're just so clever, um, so articulate, because it is incredibly difficult, in my opinion, And so whoever wrote Psalm 119 was a master craftsman of words because they painstakingly shaped this psalm to just describe line after line, 176 lines about how amazing God's word is. It is an intricate piece of poetry. And this love letter to God, this intricate piece of poetry is not just incredible because it's long, but it's something that's called an acrostic. And if you don't know what an acrostic poem is, it's a very precise piece of poetry where the first kind of letter of every line either um, makes up a word or a message, or in the case of Psalm 119, each line in each stanza or each paragraph starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so if you think about that, not only has this this person written 176 lines of poetry, but they've split it up into like 22 paragraphs for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then every paragraph starts with the same letter of the alphabet in order. Like that just blows my mind that someone can do that. It's an incredible thing. But here's the thing. The poet was an artist, but if, you, if you've got your Bibles here this morning, I want you to open up your Bible to 100, Psalm 119, because again, that term, lost in translation, is literally what we have in front of us. The beauty and the intricacy of Psalm 119, this incredible word of God, is actually lost in translation for us into English. 
all this painstaking work. It breaks my heart that we don't kind of see it. But if you've got your Bible in front of you, a remnant of it might be there. And I've got um, a picture of a page from my Bible up on the screen to show you in case you don't have it with you. There is a remnant of this artistry still in our pages. And I don't know if what your version has, but can you see that my version here, um, with some red circles around it, have all these random headings? That's actually the alphabet. That's the Hebrew alphabet, and you can see the symbols next to it. It's like this is the section like L-M-N-O-P, if you like, with hay and wow and Zion and het. And like these are the sections that the poet was crafting. And again, you can't really notice it here, and so this is where I'm getting a bit nerdy. I want to show you the actual Hebrew. It's going to mean nothing to you, but I want you to see these patterns. So this is the beginning of Psalm 119, and we read from um, right to left in Hebrew. Can you see in yellow, that's all the same kind of symbol? It's, it's an aleph, it's like their A. So every single line starts with kind of our equivalent of A. Here's the next few verses. Again, it means nothing to you, but can you see the symbol is again the same? This is like their B. Every single section is like that. It is absolutely incredible, and I'll stop nerding out now. (laughs) But this love letter to God about how incredible the word of God is, is painstakingly crafted by someone who adored the word of God so much that they wanted to write something to honour it. So why have I shown you all of this? I've shown it to you because it is just another way that we can see how incredible God's word is, that we can understand the miracle of it and what it can bring into our life. And if you remember that I read to you just a few moments ago, These verses that said, every word that you give me is a miracle word. I think that is a miracle word. How could I help but obey? Break open your words. Let the light shine out. Let ordinary people see the meaning. You see, this love letter to God about the word of God reminds us that the power of the miracle word is there, not just so that we appreciate it as a piece of literature, even though I think we should, but that this miracle word changes our life. And that line after line of this allows light to shine into our world. This light, this wisdom in the word of God has the power to impact our lives. Personally, it has the power to impact us as a church, as a, as a community, as a nation, as a world. And I think that's why the writer of Psalm 119 went to so much trouble to craft this masterpiece. Because God's word and the light that shines out of this miracle word is a lamp unto our feet. And it shows us how to walk and how to be a follower of Jesus and brings the light of wisdom into our world, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others as well. Wisdom to live our lives well. Wisdom to know what our priorities should be, how to treat one another, how to lead ourselves in our own lives, how to lead others. This is what living in the light of wisdom looks like, living every single day, in the light that we find in this book. But 
there's always a but. But if we don't actually use this as a lamp unto our feet, if we don't actually open this book and let the light shine out, as the message paraphrase says, then we are spiritually stumbling around in the dark. Choosing not to open this book, choosing not to allow the light in the wisdom that is in this book out into our life means that we are choosing to build our life like the house that is trying to avoid the window tax. That is what it's like. Do you remember this slide? This house. Can you imagine what it's like to live in there? Yes, there are windows. But if you lived inside whatever rooms are attached to that wall, the sliver of light that would come into that room only for a certain amount of time, it would be fleeting and it would have no impact really at all, particularly in a cold UK winter. There would be no warmth. There would be no sunshine in that room. Choosing not to allow the light of wisdom from the word of God is our spiritual version of daylight robbery that we commit to ourselves. And it's no way for us to live our life because in our life we need guidance and we need encouragement and support and motivation and reassurance. Things that can bring light to our relationships, to our work, to our home, to our neighbourhood so we don't stumble around in the dark. We can live differently because we have the wisdom that is contained in the word of God. I've got another holiday snap to show you. Does anyone recognise this place? This is Taylor and I in the Hall of Mirrors in the Palace of Versailles in France. And you could not get a room that is more different to that building I showed you before with the tiny, tiny windows. This room here... um, is the opposite. It has hundreds and hundreds of windows, but it is called the Hall of Mirrors for a reason because while you've got so many windows on one side, the other side of the room is a wall of mirrors. And it was designed like that to reflect and to amplify and to accentuate the light that poured in. It means that when you're in that room, the light is inescapable. No matter where you are in that room, You have light in there. And so I want to ask you this morning, which one of these two do you want to represent your life? Which one of these two? Do you allow God's word, the wisdom of his word, to pour into your life, to flood it from every direction possible, reflecting and amplifying itself into every corner and every crevice of your life? Or have you bricked it up so that hardly any of the word of God manages to stream into your life, to penetrate into your world? Because as I've already said, without the light that comes from the word of God, we are stumbling around in the darkness when it comes to so many aspects of our life. You see, our world and our society is concerned about us living our best life. 
but it's like living my best life. And that is determined by what society says my best life should be right now, which is actually quite different to what it said my best life should be last month. It's going to be different again to what it says that my best life should be next month. And we can't keep up. That's human wisdom. God's wisdom that's found in the pages of his word is about living the life that God wants us to live, the life that he wants for us, has designed for us. And we don't have to second guess what that is. It's not ever changing like human wisdom is. Everything we need is right here. In the light of wisdom, all the wisdom that is contained in this book, it has the power to direct our lives in a way that gives us purpose, but wise purpose. If you were here last week and you understood why everyone was dancing in the aisles this morning, you would have watched some of one of Troy's favourite movies, the Blues Brothers movies, and I'm not going to play the clip to you again here. But uh, Troy talked about these two guys who I can't remember their name. Elwood, is that one of them? Jake and Elwood, there you go. They saw the light. And they saw the light... And they found their purpose. Their purpose was to save the orphanage that they were raised in. Now, I can't remember all the details, and I'm glad that Troy's not here because he'd be very disappointed in me. But I don't remember. But all I do remember is that they had purpose, but they were a little short on wisdom. (laughs) Just a bit. They had a purpose. Their purpose was clear eventually. Um, But they didn't make great choices. Not at all. They didn't go about things which much, with much wisdom. High on purpose, wisdom not so much. Living in the light means that we have both. It means that we have the purpose, but we also have the wisdom that comes from the word of God to harness that. It means, for example, that when we have a purpose as a follower of Jesus of of being committed to stewarding our resources well, to to stewarding the money that God blesses us with in a way that honours him, then God's word provides us wisdom to know how to go about that. When our purpose as a follower of Jesus is to relate to one another as Jesus did, God's word provides us examples of how to go about that. When our purpose as a follower of Jesus is to be Christ-like, in our dealings with each other, in our home and in our workplaces and in our schools, then God's wisdom again shows us, demonstrates to us how to do that. And when our purpose as a follower of Jesus is to know without a doubt who we are in Christ, then God's word and the wisdom in there teaches us who we are. This is a lamp unto our feet for every single step that we are going to have to take for our whole lives and it gives us purpose and it gives us wisdom. And we need both. But we only get it if we open God's word. I'm going to get Michael and Kirsty to come up now. But I want to leave you with this. I want to show you these two photos again of these two examples. And I want you to reflect this week on which one represents your life. Which one represents your life? Which one reflects you? And I would love it if you are sitting here today and if you reflect this week and you go, you you know what? The word of God floods my life. 
I read it, I listen to it, I sing songs about it, I think about it, I pray on it. I'm living in the spiritual hall of mirrors. But if that's not you today, and if this week you think and you reflect and the Holy Spirit kind of impresses upon you that you've actually bricked up some windows because you don't open this book, then I encourage you to actually do something about that this week. If you don't know where to start, if you've never really opened this book and explored it, it can be a little bit daunting. So don't stumble around with that. Come and talk to me, talk to Troy, talk to somebody about how you can kind of start reading this book because this is where the light of our life comes from. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for the blessing that your word is. And it's not lost on me that we live in a time and a place where our access to your word is greater than anything probably in time and place. We know that we are privileged to have access to your word. We know there there are people right now who have a page of your word and that's all they have and they treasure it dearly. There are other people who don't have your word in their language and we pray for those that are trying to address that, Lord. But for us right now, we do have access to this. And so help us to prioritise opening this light, allowing this miracle world word to penetrate our life, to be the lamp unto our feet. We thank you that this is the light that can guide our life and the wisdom that we can get from it to live every day as followers of you, Christ-like examples of you. We thank you and we praise you for your word, Lord God. Amen. Amen.